welcome to the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Martin-Thomas. Join me and my guest speakers as we discuss their journey with their voice and how they use it to support their passions and professions in media, education and the performing arts. My guest this week is multi-award winning social impact entrepreneur, champion of diversity, inclusion and equality, Joanna Abayi. I've asked her onto the Vocal Freedom podcast after recently hearing her give an inspiring talk about anti-racism for the Musicians Union. The subject of becoming a practicing anti-racist is something I have to admit was not on my radar until this year. Although I was brought up to be kind to everyone, no matter the colour of their skin, I was also admittedly completely uneducated about so much, including most of black history, the Black Lives Matter movement, extensive racial injustice, inequality and abuse that some people suffer daily just because of the colour of their skin or their race. My, also, my now understanding of being in a position of white privilege and all that that means, the emotions that that's brought up. So as a middle-aged white woman who grew up in a small village in Wiltshire, I was not exposed to a diverse mix of races until I moved to North London to study in the early 90s. But my experience with racism is so minimal that I feel like I've been living in a bit of a bubble of ignorance. I've always felt empathy and would long for a peaceful wave to wash over the human race to unite us all. Wishing for this, however, is not going to help anyone. The Vocal Freedom Podcast is honoured to have you here, Joanna, to help all our listeners to expand their understanding, discover the obvious and less obvious advantages that some white people may not recognise that they've had, and what we can all do to help dismantle the systemic racism that's existed in the arts for generations. How to talk and have deeper conversations about race without offending anybody is a worry that many people have, and I think this accounts to why people don't talk about it. So today I'm here as an active listener and I hope you will all enjoy learning something from Joanne's journey and our conversation. Welcome Joanna. Thank you very much. That was a lovely introduction and it's a pleasure, pleasure to be on the podcast. Thank you. So I'd love it if you could begin by telling our listeners what it is that you do, your company and how you work with others. Yes, yeah, so thank you. So um, my organisation is called Blue Moon and what we do is provide three services really, executive search, um, diversity data uh, and metrics and benchmarking and probably the thing that we've been very, very busy doing of, of late is our consultancy work which is around culture transformation and looking at sort of the entire employee journey from how do you know organisations attract talent to how do they recruit um, and to the culture in which they bring that talent into and then how do they develop and promote. So there is essentially the three things that, that we do. And so of, of late, as you can imagine, there's been lots of conversations around a number of things, including racial inequity, of ableism. And there's been lots of conversations around various things. Um, and that's meant that we've not only had to start those conversations, but then also provide an opportunity for people to then have some training Yes. Um, around that and make sure that we move the conversation beyond just a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, it's just such a fantastic movement that you've got going on here. Um, so when it comes to speaking to somebody like me, <laughs> um, what do you find is most helpful? Where do you start? Um, and when you say somebody like you, do you mean somebody who may be like new to having these kinds of conversations? Yes. Yeah. Um, 
I always think that the most important thing to do is, is try and disarm in some way the person that you're speaking to so they don't feel that they have to sort of defend themselves but that actually they can be really really honest about what they do know and what they don't know and what they do understand what they don't understand because I think one of the things if you're talking about the topic of sort of anti-racism um it's easier when somebody is very extreme or um far right in their views for example because then you kind of know where you stand with those individuals they're quite vocal about it and 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 intentional about the behavior whereas actually when it's an individual who is not really saying very much actually it's so so crucial that you create an environment where they do feel they can and the best way I think in my opinion to do that is for them to feel that they can do and say things in that environment of which the repercussion is education as opposed to sort of sanction or in that instance, I mean, in the workplace, you know, that it doesn't result in a disciplinary or being fired, but actually it results in further education. Because otherwise, all these conversations need to be had in order for us to know what we don't know and to understand experiences that we don't relate to. That's a fantastic answer. Blowing my mind. (laughs) That's amazing. So I think I'd like to get into helping people to understand how certain things that on the surface you might not realise or could be offensive actually are. And one of the things I remember come up that came up in the in the, the talk that you gave for the MU was when somebody came in and said, I don't see colour and therefore saw themselves as being sort of very diplomatic and inclusive. But in actual fact, that that's kind of a, quite a racist thing to say because you're not allowing their point of view. Is that how I understand it? Yeah, um, I think it's really interesting because when you say, you know, I don't see colour or I don't see race, usually it's well intended. Yeah. It's it's meant that, you know, I'm I'm taking you for who you are and I'm judging you on, on my experiences with you. And while that's brilliant, and that is, of course, you know, what we should be doing in terms of everyone, we should be getting to know individuals and, and making our judgments based on that. I think the reason why it's important, though, that you do see individuals' differences is because if you don't, then how do you know how to include them? if you can't tell their their differences and their experiences. And also, if you can't identify, you know, that someone is black over someone who's white, for example, or someone who's disabled over someone who is non-disabled, then how do you understand or dismantle some of the racist and discriminatory structures that are in place because if you think about it, not seeing colour, it doesn't do much to, to identify where power is kind of given to somebody, whether it's been earned or not. So it's really important yeah. that you actually do see that so that you can actually understand the experiences that those individuals might be going through. And I think quite often, most people that say, I don't see colour, in fact, are the ones that tend to act in a way that says they absolutely do see colour. So they have a number of microaggressions, which... Yeah. Um, will clearly show actually that they do see colour because they only ask those particular questions or say those particular statements when a black or brown person is there. So in fact, you have seen the colour. So the statement in itself is usually uh, meant to be well intended. But in one of the sessions we had, someone said it really, really clearly, actually, we want you to see our colour and then to unsee it. And what they meant by that was, we'd like you to see it so you can understand our difference and our experiences. But then once you've seen that and you're able to understand what that means in the context of society and the workplace and wherever it might be, 
it's to unsee it so that I'm not constantly spoken to and treated as a black or brown person yeah. that must know about because that's a black thing or must talk to that person because that's a black thing or you know um they don't want that but they don't want you to pretend that you can't see it because that doesn't do much to help dismantle the systemic racism that exists that's absolutely true in fact it's almost like saying no it's not even happening yeah it's kind of like if you don't do it it doesn't exist and it's it's really funny because um the author um Leila F. Saeed in her book um in white supremacy she always says you know there's racism with no racists (laughs) (laughs) so if you had the conversation no one's a racist yeah but racism exists so someone is somewhere (laughs) there's racism somewhere. somewhere because yeah so it's just important that we're, we're open about that and, and people not to feel afraid that they that they see colour. Yeah. I think people think seeing colour means that they would act on that and then be racist. But actually, it makes more sense to just admit that you see it yeah. than, than to pretend that you don't. Because then it, you might actually look like a a kind of covert racist anyway. Yes. <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just denying any responsibility. So. It is that, isn't it? I think taking responsibility is is another thing which um, I've I've been on a bit. I was just saying before we got onto the podcast that twenty twenty this this year particularly has been the the ground has never been secure under many people's feet. We're both in a position where we're grateful that we're able to work and carry on and 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 grateful for all that we have. When a lot of people have had such an awful year, much worse than than this. But it does feel like the ground is shaking underneath everyone at the moment, doesn't it? It does feel like we're in the midst of some things need to change. Yeah, I think so. Um, I was talking to a a friend and colleague earlier today and said the same thing, you know, this year has been a really testing year for me personally in a number of ways. But I think uh, sort of professionally, someone said it the other day, you know, there's not a lot to look forward to. And what they mean by not that they don't love their job. I love what I do every day I wake up and I absolutely love what I do. But I can see what they mean in that we've been surrounded by things that are so negative for such a long time. Um, that it's really, really difficult sometimes to see when the light is coming. Mm. And although there's been some beauty in this, you know, there have been some beautiful things that you've been able to witness and see and provide support. But actually, it's still quite, it has still been quite hard for a lot of people. And I think that is a good way of describing it. Things feel like the ground is very shaky, Mm. that you can't quite commit to anything just yet. I saw um, one of those little poster things on Facebook. My kids tell me what they're called and I can never remember what they're called. (laughs) Is it a meme? It's probably a meme. Is it, does it have to have a person in it to be a meme? I don't know. I'm confused by that because often it's a picture. I'm not, of, I'm not great on this stuff I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not up with that. But anyway, it was a picture of a little boat on a background and it said something like, we may not all be in the same boat, but we're all experiencing the same storm. Yeah. It kind of feels like that in terms of yeah. there's so many different problems in the world right now. But it just feels like now more than any other time in my lifetime, everything seems to be saying we need to work together to make to, to get over yeah. this. You know, we all need to work together and we need to dismantle this inbred kind of, you know, I was speaking to a student today, actually, who really surprised me with their attitude about something. <laughs> they had such a strong opinion that that's the way it is and therefore there's no way it can be changed, fixed mindset. I couldn't actually, I I was stuck with that person because I I can't get through to this person. They're just not enlightened enough. What am I going to do in this conversation? Some people just don't want to listen, do they? Mm. I think so. And I think some people find it easier to to pretend that it's not going on because then they don't have to face anything. 
Yeah. And they don't have to, they don't have to be uncomfortable. Um, and I think that's one of the things that people really don't like. And there's sayings everywhere at the moment, isn't there, that, you know, it's in your moments of not being comfortable that you learn the most. Absolutely. And you like learn the most about yourself. And I think what's been really difficult in a way has been that during this period, you've had to sit, a lot of us have had to sit with ourselves because we're sat at home, yeah. we're, we're Zooming all day, we're having meetings all day. And then and then when we when we couldn't go anywhere, we were going for walks and coming back and we were with our partners. And suddenly you have to confront everything about you, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I think that we are in a time where lots of people are, would rather not add to that list of things to confront. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a shame though, because absolutely, I can understand that the, the, there can be a bit of a jaded mindset in that it's been this way, like for some generations, you know, what's happened with George Floyd for example and others like Breonna Taylor these are things that they know to be happening all the time Um, and they know that there has been societal and global responses to things like this in the past and so there are some people that are kind of like well what it what that message is telling me is that things are going to stay as they are you know yeah. irrespective there may be this momentary urge to be proactive and to respond but in terms of systemic structural inequality whether that's related to race or other that's going to stay maintained because well if it was going to change it would have changed by now so there is there is some of that yeah um but, but I think the I don't know you have to be the optimist or what's the what's the point you know otherwise it's quite a depressing state <laughs> yeah <laughs> We don't but, think that- said, and, and I don't just mean that from an inclusion diversity perspective. I mean, even broader than that, you know, yeah. if we're not optimistic about our politics, about our education, about our health, about our criminal justice system, then what, what's what, the point? what would we fear? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be quite a demoralising existence. Absolutely. So, you know, you're a champion in this um, industry now in terms of like, so I read on your bio earlier that you were awarded an MBE this year. How exciting is that? Oh my God. Please tell me about this story. What happened? Did you go to the Buckingham Palace? Did you do all the thing? Oh, please talk to me about it. So, so it was funny because I got a call. I was in the doctor's surgery because my partner wasn't very um, well and I was sorting out some stuff for him. And um, I got a call and I thought it was someone being silly. So I just said, I'll oh, stop joking around. Like, I've got so much on my mind at the moment. You're not funny. I thought it was one of my friends. And they went, oh, sorry, excuse me. No, it's genuinely, and he said his name, I'm calling from the cabinet office. This isn't a joke. Ooh. And he said, we'd like to know if you would accept um, an MBE. And I said, are you joking? He's like, no, I honestly, we're not joking. So I said, okay, um, when do I need to let you know? <laughs> <laughs> because I wanted to speak to my mum, my dad, and in particular, my big brother about it because of the historical relationship of the British Empire and colonization and yeah and and black and brown people really and I just wanted to make sure that I had their support I'd considered their reservations before sort of accepting I think in the end the reason I I accepted the honor was because I thought that and I hope I don't sound ignorant when I say this but while it absolutely has you know played its part in a number of things that are not in some instances unspeakable really but um what I did think was this is celebrating the work I'm doing to undo all of that historical systemic inequity and inequality. And if that very empire is saying, no, and we stand with you and we want you to be a member of this, of our empire, I think 
I felt that that showed an indication of, of change and progress. And actually, it helped to increase my profile and, and opened, I guess, even more doors for me to have the conversation in, in other environments where actually some of these powerful and influential individuals exist and lead. So it was quite important to me to once I sort of considered that actually that it was that there was a lot of positive that could come from accepting it and I think so far there there has been absolutely has been yeah I bet you've been very busy haven't you but yeah that is <laughs> there is but, but going back to what you said I've not been to the palace yet I had oh. my day we all had our dresses and our suits and our hats and and our attire and then a covid obviously yeah. happened it wasn't safe and I haven't yet had um my date but I do have uh, my um behind me uh elizabeth the second scroll with her oh, wow. letter and the red bit that it came in oh, um, that's so exciting. And, yeah so i do have that and i've got um my mentor brilliant man bought me the little pin that you can wear on your clothes which i haven't actually worn out yet because i'm sat in front of the, the computer so i'm <laughs> yeah. not really going anywhere. but um so i've had little things that have been yeah have been sweet really yeah, I think, do you know what? I'm really, I'm very grateful that that's, that you took that decision because I think you're right. And that's how I see it too. I'm like, it feels like brilliant. That's amazing. The tide is turning. Someone is is allowed in the club. You know, it's not all just like these old farts, yeah. these old farts, white people, dinosaurs that we're waiting to die off. You know, it feels <laughs> like these, you know, the younger generations now, We, I mean, I'm not the younger generation anymore, um, but it feels like, we want them to come up and, and, and it to be much more diverse everywhere. Everywhere needs to be more diverse. Um, I had a, a conversation recently with one of my um, singing teacher friends who's younger than me. He's about in his 30s. And he he's on a board in one of these institutes in the world of voice. And they had a, a meeting, you know, a Teams meeting. There's like 12 staff from the um, musical theatre department and the drama department having a meeting before they kick off things in September and someone says, we need to have a, a talk about our um, diversity policies or something, you know. And he put his hand up and said, well, if we're going to be talking about that, you know, maybe we should have a more diverse me- members of in this meeting because everyone in this meeting is white. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, wow, go you. I was like really like yeah. championing him. Well done. But at the same yeah. time, I was like, it's difficult in some places because we need ev- a bit of everybody to understand everybody. And, you know, I think as well, it's while that point is very, very valid and that was a great ally move, that was a great thing for that person to do. I think there's also something just to be really mindful of as well is about sort of intersectionality and and the differences that we can't always see. So, Mm. you know, um, I just find that really interesting because I think sometimes we we can disengage or isolate the sort of white male or white people from a conversation under the assumption that, yes, of course, when it comes to the topic of race, there's white privilege in terms of not having to deal with racism in the wider society and the way kind of the world sees people. But I think there is also something in what about the white lady whose skin is white, but actually mother isn't or father isn't. And, you know, um, but they, it's just it's just the way that they have been born, That you know, like my... Um, my partner ha- is mixed race, but very, very, very fair. And like, aside from his beard, may not to somebody appear as a mixed race man. And so you just have to be quite mindful of, of things like that. But also, you know, you, you wouldn't know and like, from looking at his mum or my mum 
that they have brown children and a black husband. So there's also just, although you may not have someone with direct lived experience, they may be a little bit more familiar with particular cultures than you may realise or give them credit for. And also having like a disability, there are so many that are debilitating disabilities that unless they're disclosed, you would just have no idea. Yeah. And so that they would also be a voice. Mental health and wellbeing, you can't necessarily tell that someone's sexual orientation someone's faith unless it's visible you can't tell that either so there's lots of other and class of course so there are you just have to be mindful with that that you know sometimes you might look around a room and say oh we have women here but we don't have ethnic minorities but you know it's also about the intersectionality of the women the men and, and also making sure that you don't just have one view on you don't think well we have a woman here so she'll speak for all women because the experiences mm. of say an upper middle class woman and someone from a working class background is going to be two very different experiences and no experience one experience is the same even within yeah, particular profile groups so so it, while it is important that you have that representation it is also you must be really mindful of the things we can't always see thank you for that yeah, you're right. I mean, we do, we don't often worry about. I wouldn't worry about sparking up a conversation with somebody on the train about religion, mm. for example. And I've always been really interested in the fact that in different places, in different countries in the world, we have different faiths and different religions. And obviously, that's led to a lot of conflict and war, and un, unfortunately. Um, but I always, I suppose, I just always thought, well, on the whole, people are kind of decent wherever they come from. Everyone just wants to look after their own and have enough for themselves and their families no matter where you live and what your race is right most people are good I would hope it just seems to me that I don't really understand why in history one race just figured they were the better one and just started robbing all the black people from Africa and enslaving them i I'm outraged that that happened. And I'm sure a lot of people, everyone is, aren't they? Everyone who lives now is like, what were, what were they thinking? Mm. It's, uh, it's just so awful. And of course, lots of awful things have happened since in history. I think what I've seen more this year is that growing up when I did in the community that I grew up in, what I was told in the history classroom was essentially white history. And only then, really, you know, First World War, Second World War, we didn't really go any further than that. And I didn't even, I don't even remember learning about the Holocaust and stuff at school. So my history is pretty rubbish. Um, but this year I've learned loads. And that's left, left me uncomfortable at times because I've realised that I have had ancestors that they had a maid and a, a servant. And, you know, they, they were of that sort of background. And what I'm saying is that I don't relate to that and I didn't grow up upper class or any of that I, I grew up on a council estate in Wiltshire so my background yeah. is pretty liberal really but I have got ancestors that were involved and that makes me feel icky and mm. the, the whole just the learning about like, everything to do with slavery recently watching the enslaved um, program that Samuel L Jackson did did you see that I, I have, I've started episode one I haven't finished oh wow I just we we binge watched I think we did two mm. one night and two this the, the second night my husband and I just we were just looking at each other and I just said, I really, I don't understand why this is, I suppose I do understand why, but it annoys me that this isn't taught to younger children. I suppose you can't really, you don't, that's difficult, isn't it? I think though children are a lot more resilient than we think. And I'm no child, you know, no child expert at all. And I'm not a teacher and I don't work in, you know, the welfare of children. But I do think though that 
that generation are getting more like it's such a diverse generation anyway so yeah. I mean the school I was in for example was so multicultural and diverse there was you know it would have been so easy to, to talk to us about all these different histories whether that was my history or the history of Turkey or the history of Russia or you know that like with so there was such a diverse group of people in the classroom I actually think it's a shame that we didn't uh-huh. um and I think you're absolutely right I don't remember I think I learned about Anne Frank Yes, I learned uh, about Anne Frank. Yeah, we had uh, to read the diary like, of Anne Frank. Yeah, but I don't think I've... So, for example, I've done lots of work in my years now um, running the organisation that I run um, to educate myself on anti-Semitism and what that actually means and how that manifests and presents itself. But, like, we weren't taught that stuff. We really weren't taught that stuff. And we, we're not taught about, you know, some of the culture, the culture story within Southeast and South or East Asia. Mm. Uh, we're just not taught those things. And yet our schools uh, are full of diverse, multicultural British people. Yeah. And I think it's a shame, really, that we don't, we don't know that. And I understand why they want us to know about the white British history, but we're, not, we're just not, British people aren't all white anymore. So exactly. it's forever. Yeah. So it just needs to be, it just needs to be much more representative of the individuals that are contributing. Because it's, it's such a shame that when you say British, people have an idea of what that looks like, who that is. Yeah. And if they're British, they may, I might say I'm British. People go, but where are you from originally? I'm British. Yeah. Um, I'm obviously of mixed heritage and, you know, um, my dad's from Ghana and obviously I have Africa, I'm from Africa in that respect. But I was born here. To, I was born here. So yeah. there is that thing of like the, the idea around Britain and this whole, you know, put the British back in Britain and all these horrible oh things. Like, they're just so ignorant and un- yeah. un- and un- and uneducated, and it also just talks back to again this idea of sort of privilege and and forgetting how much people from or who don't look like you know a white British person have contributed to Britain. So um, I think it's a shame that we haven't had that history because it would help a hell of a lot. And I mean, I did some work at a private school, and one of the there was only one uh, black boy in this particular class. And he was given during a secret Santa, you know, when you all get a person that you're going to buy a present for. Yeah. Um, and he, he, he being the only black person, he got, uh, obviously the person who was buying for him was a white person. They bought him armbands uh, because black people can't swim. And oh. I, I think what happens when you, when you take, when you don't include it in the, in the history is you just continually, um, perpetuate the systemic structures because even in the environment of a school and in a lower school those white males young men young boys assume the level of superiority Mm. over their black peer because rather than get him a present that was related to anything he was interested in they got him it purely based on the color of his skin oh my god that's awful so, so we're not so not including it has done little to dismantle these unjust structures, there's just so much argument for why it should be in schools and why that conversation needs to happen. I think that that's, that, that's the movement, I think. It's, it really is because, you know, how, how can we expect to have a more united human race if we're not listening to each other and we're not understanding yeah. each other's experiences? Um, and that's really, um, you know, I feel really committed to trying to do that more and more. But I did say to you, and I'll say to you really, really honestly on my email, I said to you, didn't I, I was interviewing a musician for the podcast a few weeks ago, who's a beautiful man who happens to be black. And 
I wanted to ask him if he'd experienced racism in the music industry and I felt I couldn't say I felt I couldn't say it. I couldn't ask the question. And I know that sounds I'm like, I sound like a right wimp. But I didn't I didn't feel confident that if he started talking to me about it, that I'd be able to hold myself together, first of all. I thought I might start crying on air. So I didn't want to I was nervous of what learning what his experience could be because I might have assumed it was going to be an awful one. Mm-hmm. And that in its own way is I've got my own ideas, isn't it? Which isn't right. I, I probably should just brave it. <laughs> just ask the question. No, but it is, it's interesting as well, because there's not only that, there is, of course, it is hard, but it's also the fact that you're asking that person to perhaps relive it. If that's exactly. Yeah. Experience. Then it's also, you're also conscious of the fact that, of course, you want to support and, and speak to those experiences, but you also don't want that person to think, would they ask me this if I wasn't? black so there's an yeah so in that you've got something so it's not easy as I say these conversations aren't easy yeah um but what I would say to you is if it ever happens again you just have a conversation before yeah session and just say look I've been of course the events that happened this year has meant that I've become much more aware of you know racial inequity and I have been speaking to going along to sessions and hearing these experiences and I'd really like to hear if you're comfortable your your views on that and then you could run the question just to give you like something that so you can feel a bit more comfortable and also prepare yourself that there might be some things that you hear that are actually quite devastating to listen to yeah I think I think this part of that was I've realized in saying that bit first it sounded very I was scared because of my own my own fears of my response. But in, in reality, I was also nervous of, of raising up a bad memory for someone. Course, you, yeah. you know what I mean? And just sort of like them going, well, yeah, I've, I was beaten up. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't want you to, you know, I didn't want you to yeah. go through anything bad by, by talking about it. So, yeah, there is that as well. I think it's, um, I feel it's inevitable. I could speak to any person who's black, brown, you know, d- different race to myself and say, have you experienced racism? And I believe everyone would say yes and have some stories. But if I ask anyone that I know that's white, have you experienced racism? They're probably going to say no. And that's the thing I've realised this year. You know? I also, yeah, I also think that you can get individuals, because certainly I've experienced it when running some of the sessions that will say, you know, in different territories, I, you know, in different parts of the world, that they have experienced it. They have been viewed in a particular way and and they've been the minority and therefore ha- would say that they've experienced it and that there's like you know they talk about sort of this reverse racism but it's a really difficult one and it's challenging and there's lots of authors that challenge this concept but of course a lot of what happens with race you can't really talk about racial inequity until you talk about the like powerful structures and the power structures and so in some instances you don't want to take away from somebody who said you know that they felt isolated or excluded or mm. the recipient of microaggressions but and the other argument is that it's a different experience to that of of um societal global <laughs> structures that have disempowered a large number of people for many years and continues to do so. So I think there are some people that would argue. I mean, I ran a session and someone explained that like when they'd been in Japan and when they'd been in some parts of Africa, they'd felt as if they were sort of, people were being racist towards them. As a, as a white person? Yeah. Oh, okay. So you can, and yeah, I mean, felt, you can you could feel a sense of unease or, yeah. you know, just feeling Exclusion uncomfortable. Or, yeah. yeah, bias. 
things like that but I think when we think about actual racism yeah it's uh it's a bit different because it's all about sort of power and in, yeah and influence I think right so what are we going to do about it <laughs> you know that's yeah. the big question where yeah. can, where can, what, where can I, we get in there and, and really you know make a difference well I think the, the first place to start is to kind of deal with your own fragility uh, not you personally, just generally. <laughs> I'm so fragile. <laughs> You're probably so right. Just sort of like for, for everyone to think about their like fragility, and and what what I mean by that is like dealing with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so that we, some people are so nervous about being uncomfortable that we never move past it, and we never get to a point where we're ever saying anything. Yeah. <laughs> that, that changes anything. We're just kind of not not even sharing how we feel so I think the first thing is like we need more and more people to get comfortable with being a bit uncomfortable we also need those same people in that same space and that's not just about race that's about understanding different people of different sexual orientation gender uh, ages um faith it's you know it's make sure that you're open to hearing those experiences that aren't like yours and then and then being really respectful of them and, and trying to seek to understand and I think that's a big thing I would say about getting over your own fragility. And then also in that, it's really important that you're not defensive. You know, yes. if someone's explaining how they feel, just accept that that's an experience that they've had and feel. And it doesn't mean that, you know, because they're talking about theirs, it, it dismisses the experiences of anybody else. That's not that's not what's happening at all, actually. What it's doing is just explaining their experiences. So kind of caveating things with, oh, you know, but what about, but what about? You know, that's mm. not that that's not dealing with your fragility. In fact, it's it's keeping everything in its place. So just be mindful of that. I'd also say, like, if we're talking on the topic of race, thinking as an anti-racist is essentially anything that you can see perpetuates structural inequity for black or brown people. If you can see that that's happening and you're not being an agent of change, then essentially you're being implicit in the racism. You're yeah. going along with racism. So I think these are things that everyone can do without picking up a book or a podcast or air anything just think well, that isn't right isn't fair what can I do to not contribute to that that's a, that's a one simple way to to do things once you've sort of addressed the fragility and then I think then progressing into allyship and understanding how can I be an ally for those individuals so and I don't mean just when they're there I mean when they're not there because that's probably when it's more important so in yeah. the instance of the example you gave earlier when you said you know, that gentleman said, it's great that we're going to talk about diversity and inclusion, but this doesn't feel like a very diverse group of individuals. Well, that's a brave thing to say when there's no one going to applaud him or thank him. It's quite a, you know, it was a, it was a thankless thing, mm. but an important thing. So it's actually really important that when we talk about allyship, we're quite happy to go beyond the moment of being comfortable and, and go beyond having someone in the room. And I think if everyone started with those three things, then some of the experts and the bigger effort that needs to be done by so many stakeholders, whether that's within the education system, mm. right through to uh, the criminal justice system, you know, to the workplace, you know, um, challenges around in- inequality. If that's a big movement in the right direction, that's going to take a bit longer. But in terms of anyone listening and what can they do, you know, this afternoon after <laughs> listening or whatever, yeah. um, I think they're some of the three things to look at. Yeah, absolutely. That is, that is incredible. I, I remember a story you told about a man on a train. Um, would you mind mm. sharing that one? Because I thought that was a really, really great story. Yeah, so um, it's interesting because 
it was I mentioned it and, it and it actually came up in in a session someone had said that this had happened to them a colleague of mine gets the train and he gets where he lives he gets on at one of them first stops so it's pretty empty and even on an empty carriage he said he would always count how many stops go past before someone will kind of come and sit next to him um, and even then when the carriage gets extremely busy and there's only one seat left people would rather stand than sit next to him and so on one occasion a woman saw another person get on the train look around see that the seat that was the only seat that was spare was next to uh, my black colleague and looked at it and just kind of went now stand and so what that person sitting opposite did was get up and sit next to him and looked at him and they both kind of had this acknowledgement of I stand with you. There's absolutely no reason why, you know, that person can't sit here. Yeah. And then they went and sat, and they went and sat, the person that had that down went and sat in the seat that that person had given up. And they kind of both just kind of looked quite sternly at the other person and did say that was, that's actually quite awful. I think that stuff happens all the time. And it's something that when we talk about white privilege, that's what people are referring to, not having to deal with things like that because their skin is white. So they don't, they don't have all the, stereotypes that come with that they don't have all the single stories that come with that about what that what a black man is and the kind of people black people are and they don't have to deal with that and 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 that's that's what privilege is and so by that uh, woman sitting next to uh, my colleague it's saying I don't need everyone here to agree with me but that that doesn't make sense and that's unacceptable and I'll I'm gonna sit with you I'll stand with you and that's the sort of allyship you want because again no one was gonna thank her and she didn't know anyone on that train. So mm. she didn't do it for fame, for popularity, to be liked. No, it was... It, it, it was it was authentic. Yes. So. Yeah, it was a, a sort of moment of, I've got your back and I'm, you know, I don't know. That I, I can see the... Um, I, I'm trying to understand why... Because I'm, I'm lazy on trains. I want to see. So I, I would sit next to anyone. Yeah. So, do you know what I'm, I just don't... Yeah. I can't get my head around why somebody would see an empty seat and decide not to sit on it just because the person who they'd be sitting next to was a different colour skin to themselves. I don't get that because I don't think that way. But I, what, I'm yeah. now, what I'm now bringing into my experience is that some people really are, I don't know, scared of or have preconceived ideas of someone based so fully on race. Um, and it's, it's, it's been new for me to discover. That makes, I know, I've, I've realised now, like I said, I've been in this ignorant bubble. Because I don't feel that way. My experience hasn't been that way. So I don't, I, I kind of, when I hear things, I just go, I can't believe this is happening in the world. What is wrong with people? I think it's a shame. I think it's a shame uh, that in this day and age, we're still dealing with it. But yeah. I think it's because it's never really ever been dealt with. You're right. And I think it does come no. back, it does come back to education because, you know, ultimately uh, we, we learn our, our views of the world from our parents and carers. And if we've grown up in a family that is racist or has racist views from their, you know, generations before them, et cetera, then that's kind of what gets passed down the line. So I'll share with you my, my daughter who's 19, um, second year at uni, one of her best friends at school, a young man, very, very conservative family with elderly white parents has awful things to say. And she's witnessed this friend of hers, quite elderly um, father say really racist things and come home and cried about it and said, I, I don't know how he lives there. I don't know how he puts up with it. And I'm like, how is that for the young guy himself when he doesn't have that view? He, he doesn't mm. hold those views of his parents, thankfully. Yeah. Um, but 
also doesn't try and change their minds or try and educate them or try and help them see that the way they see things is wrong. How do you how do you do that? I think that's a really interesting one because I've had that come up a few times where uh, either someone's parents-in-law have these views or and they they've asked me you know is it worth it is it worth keep having the conversation when they're so adamant that their view is the correct view and I and I've suggested you know make you know perhaps suggest a book or a podcast and then see if that changes their mind and in some cases it does in other cases it still keeps people where they are yeah. and I think generationally some of that privilege has been sort of implanted for so long in their mind that it's not going to be undone overnight and it's certainly not going to be over, undone by you know reading one book yeah. uh, if there's so, if it's been their main viewpoint for the you know for their entire lives um and in those instances i think it's quite i think it's quite sad but i mean all i can suggest is that you 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 know you keep pushing content that is sort of anti-racist underneath their nose and encouraging that they engage with it mm. um because otherwise you're, it's you're, that thing of feeling complicit really, yeah it yeah. is and and you're also it's quite exhausting to to be the person that's challenging people that are very adamant in their views and what I would say is like quite good is that we've got a lot of people who are in the younger generation who are much more educated aware yeah of these differences and embrace them and I'm just optimistic that they will continue to you know Me hopefully too. change yeah. some of this yeah absolutely yeah I think that's how I feel as well is it it's going to be a wave of the younger generations coming up and, and the older ones dying off yeah. um, but it, I, you know it, hopefully I can see in in my own ancestry line in certain directions that there there must have been complicit behavior to a to a, a broken system but that doesn't mean that I'm I'm of those views it, yeah it, you know and so you know I sort of look at it well you know, help help the younger voices be heard and come through. And like you say, the younger people aren't so, I suppose, fixed in their mindsets because they've grown up with a much more diverse crowd of people. Yeah. It sounded really, your school sounds fabulous. It sounds so much more interesting yeah. than mine. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, things were just, you, you, we were all from kind of a broad range of backgrounds, uh, predominantly, I would imagine, sort of low socioeconomic backgrounds. So we all really kind of, we were all united in those things, I think. So yeah. maybe we weren't like by skin colour always or, you know, um, sexual orientation, but class certainly united us. I found going off to university difficult because all of my sixth forms and my sixth form and my school, it was just so multicultural. We were so open to different experiences. And it wasn't until I got to university that I was, because my university was in um, was in Reading, that I realised how differently the world saw me. And I think that was because when you go to uni, people come from all over the world, don't they? Yeah. Different countries, different. So suddenly you're in this new kind of mini society bubble where people have their already preconceived ideas about, your experiences and stuff and so it becomes yeah it becomes interesting yeah it opens out opens out your world are you going to bring a book out I've actually got a um a book yeah I've been talking to a publisher about a book for a little while now. do it do it um, do it so probably, I'm hoping it's a 2021 thing yes because there's a there's a lot a lot going on this end of the year and it's also been one of those really interesting years so 
Definitely. You've got a voice yeah. that needs to be listened to and, and heard and understood. Oh, thank you. Thank so, you very much. So we just went briefly there into voice and talking. And obviously, you know, I'm a voice teacher, voice coach, but I'm also a woman with a life and lots of questions. <laughs> um, so the Vocal Freedom podcast kind of started as I was speaking with people in the voice industry about how they take care of their voices, uh, look after themselves, their well-being, um, different walks of um, life. So people who are professional performers and people who teach and all sorts. And I think what's what's occurred to me through this this six months of doing this is I'm interested in all voices, not just singing voices. I'm interested in voices that have got something to say that's going to educate people. And this is why um, I came to you about this. But on a practical level or on a sort of spiritual level, if you like, what does your voice mean to you? It's a really good question. I've always I don't know why and I don't know where it's come from, but I've always felt that I shouldn't be silent on things that are important to me. So I don't know where or who told me that, where it came from. I've just always, it's just been something that I've I've done since I was little. Like if it's important to you, speak on it. And I've always thought when I learned that people listened when I speak was I was sort of running a session when I was 18 and I was doing a bit of, I was talking to a room and people said that, that we, we learned a lot from what you said and then I thought actually once you're invited into those spaces actually do use your voice to to speak of the experiences that you have and that other people like you have because otherwise what if nobody gets the opportunity to be in that room they'll never get to hear the magic that you may know and the things that you may have and that was one of the things that I always thought about and I just thought if you don't see if you don't speak who will ever hear the, yeah. the things that you have to say and, and they don't have to take it they may think ah I'm not interested but I just thought while you while you do learn something or you do know something share it so I've always thought my voice is one that I've wanted to use to share and to educate and not to fall silent on things that matter to me I guess that's what I've seen my voice as that's a brilliant answer that's a fantastic <laughs> response really good and it's true <laughs> But, yeah. it's, it's not, I know it's, it's a funny question, isn't it? People do react to that in different ways. But so whose voices inspire you and who could you never tire of listening to? Well, if we think about, if I think about a song, there's a song that means a, a, a lot to me that I had. Um, I've actually got the, the title of it tattooed on my wrist, which is Eva Cassidy's song, Songbird. Oh, yes. Yes, I know the song. Yeah, that mean, that, that's a really important song to me, uh, for the, mainly for its lyrics and what it talks about and I think that's probably like what's behind a lot of what I do mm. I want things to be so the concept that you know the birds will be sh- will, the sun will be shining for you is the idea that you know things will be better for you so I think that that's probably a voice that's played heavy in my mind I listen to the voices like I have a small family I have a big brother and a big sister and a mum and dad there's just us five and I, I find that their voices are incredibly important to me mm. and they probably shape everything I do every day, to be honest. So I'd have to say that song and those. And then in terms of sort of people externally, I'm reading a book at the moment and it's one of the books that's really stayed with me. And it's by Glennon Doyle <gasps> called Untamed. Yeah. I'm reading that book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so spooky. I love that book. Yeah, so when I think about, like, I've read loads of books, I don't stop reading. That's a book that 
I think really touched me. So that's a voice I'm I'm currently listening to. I would love to get Glennon Doyle on this podcast. That's going to be a mission of mine because yeah, you have. she's. I, I, you're not the first person that said that, and we were. I was like, I know what you're going to say <laughs> before you said yeah. it because that has yeah. been such a, a brilliant read. And oh my gosh, all of a sudden, I've recommended it yeah, to so many people. Yeah, me too. Me too. And we'll, I'll, I'll um I'll put a link to it on the show notes for this. Just to, to I'd love to get it's word to spread enough. Glenn Doyle, come and talk to me. Yeah, put <laughs> it out to the universe. Put it put out there. Put it, it out there. It would be amazing. But she's I mean she's so incredibly popular. Her voice has just gone boom with that book. It's amazing. So my but last it needed to. yeah oh it needed to absolutely. Isn't it funny though how some books just speak to you so I mean our backgrounds are probably so completely different. And, and so a lot of the people I know that have read that book, completely different. That book was, <sighs> and still is, it's by my bed. And I kid you not, every night I read it over and over. <sighs> There'll always be a chapter or a page or something. I've yeah. got a little sticky tab. Oh, you like your little um, coloured little post-it things. I remember oh seeing God, your yeah. book. Yeah, oh, you probably saw it from the I session. I did, on the MU session. <laughs> Yeah, everything's got a bit sticky, so I can go back to it if it stood out to me. Yeah. Are there any other books you'd recommend for people, maybe on the subject that we've been talking about mostly as well, to, in terms of um, how they can help themselves? Yeah, there's quite a few. There's Akala. His book, Natives, is a really good one to read. Okay. Um, there's another book, which is about race, but not specifically about black and brown individuals. It's called, Cath- it's called Minor Feelings. Ah. Um, and it's a reckoning on race and the Asian condition and that's by Kathy Park Hong and then there's another book why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria it's a national bestseller and that's by Beverly Daniel Tatum and then there's cast by oh yeah I've just ordered that one is that yeah living a Jewish life by Anita Diamant ah so you're really getting into the understanding anti-Semitism at the moment, which is another journey I need to go on. Um, yeah. I, I watched, I got hooked on something the other day on TV with um, Judge Rinder, of all people. I love Judge Rinder. <laughs> Judge Rinder. My but, mum loves Judge Rinder. <laughs> isn't he funny? Um, yeah. But I, I, I missed the beginning, but I'm going to have to go and find that on the planner and download it properly and watch it. And it's the series of, um, it was himself, but lots of, a few other people he was interviewing that were tracing their um Jewish ancestors that and it was some some of them were um where their parents had been um you know like before or just before the war when before the Nazis invaded certain countries people would send their children off to different relatives in different countries to keep them safe Mm -hmm. and there was this one guy who he's just grown up here and, and just identifies as a just a white guy you know and he's like in his 60s now and he, had, he sort of went back to Lithuania, where his relatives were from. And I can't I remember getting the stories muddled now because it was really late the other night and I was watching it. And Judge Rinder did this. But Judge Rinder went back and found a relative that had been executed in this. His whole family or part of his family had been executed in this mass grave in Lithuania somewhere, I think it was. And it's still there. There's this huge mound that was once 1700 people that were just lined mm. up I, I, and I I was just like there's so much more that's gone on that I didn't know about and it just it's terrifying but it's like but we need to I suppose it it makes me aware that 
there's atrocities across mankind, yeah. seemingly generation after generation. But we're so we're so much more evolved now, and we're so much more able to talk and listen to each other. Yeah, it shouldn't be that way anymore. No, we should have moved on. We should have moved on. You just reminded me actually of what I saw of the first series of Enslaved. Yeah. When they were on the island, I can't remember the island right now off the top of my head, but when there were the oyster shells. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. That was still there yeah. in, in the this... piles from, from oh. what, yeah. Even oh. that, I mean, that was just incredibly heartbreaking and shocking, but. Um, it, is. it is shocking. Yeah. Well, I hope that the world will unite. Yeah. We have to, don't we? We could talk on, I'm sure, Joanna, but I'm so aware that I'm keeping you from your evening and it's been an absolute pleasure. So I'm just going to end with one last question, which is what is vocal freedom to you? That's a beautiful question. Just in the moment, it, it feels like vocal freedom is the opportunity to share your voice for positive change not to incite hate on others yes oh i'm hearing you that's you have to be really careful with um vocal freedom because of course there's you know there's the freedom of speech uh but some some hate speech i, I feel there's no place for it I agree. and i know that's like odd saying that as someone who says all views are welcome and um, so i'm not saying that you know your your views are not welcome but i, I just because i don't agree with it that's not what i mean but i just think if it's going to inflict pain and and war, yeah, yeah, I think it's different having those conversations that are, you know, that need to happen, that are uncomfortable to, to get to a solution. What I don't like the sound of is it being, being your voice being used just to further incite, further unhelpful hate. Mm. So it moves us backwards rather than forwards. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I completely, unfortunately... But let's hope he's out of the White House, eh? You know? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> he just perfectly described one of our world leaders. I know, I know, I know. Oh, oh goodness. It's a whole nother podcast. I know, it? exactly. We won't go there. <laughs> oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so, so much for spending some time with me this evening, Joanna. I really appreciate it. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll move into your day with a bit more vocal freedom, feeling that you can express using your voice and let the world hear what you have to say. Visit colchestervoiceacademy.com forward slash podcast. Sign up to be kept informed as new episodes are published and consider joining our online community. Membership to this will allow you to post questions to our guests link you to show notes, social media links, and entitle you to exclusive offers from our guests. See you next time.